The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hey, folks, and welcome to Typology, the show in which we explore the mystery of the human personality through the lens of the Enneagram. I'm Anthony Skinner, producer of the show, and we are happy to have you back for part two of our two-part series with Scott Allender. Scott is an expert in global people leadership and organizational development. He is the co-creator of a multiple award-winning leadership development program and has built a broad curriculum of custom people development workshops and initiatives that improve organizational performance by helping everyone to become the best version of themselves. Scott is the Senior Vice President of Talent Strategy and Development at Warner Music Group, a part-time organizational consultant for Church of the City in Tennessee, and occasionally donates his time as a leadership consultant for America's Kids Belong, a nonprofit organization working to end the foster care and adoption crisis in the U.S. Scott is a Myers-Briggs and Hogan practitioner, an emotional intelligence coach, and holds multiple senior HR certifications. We are so privileged to have Scott with us today. If you haven't heard part one of this two-part series, be sure and go back and listen to part one. Hey, if you haven't already done so, make sure you go to patreon.com forward slash typology. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash T-Y-P-O-L-O-G-Y and select a level at which you'd like to support the show. You will not only receive our undying love and gratitude, but you're going to get a bunch of great bonus content as well when you do. Even a dollar a month, folks, is a huge, huge help. That's it for me, Anthony Skinner. Now let's rejoin Scott Allender and his conversation with our host, Ian Cron. A few years back, uh, two Harvard-based psychiatrists um, observed, well, they're not the only ones that observed it, but the way they said it was, was great. Uh, we are the most over-informed, under-reflective mm. civilization in human history. Whoa. Wow. Say that again. We are the most over-informed, under-reflective civilization in human history. Wow. You know what's so great about that is it's like, you know, uh, information is not transformation. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right? It's like you may know a whole lot of stuff, but if it doesn't, you know – like water, you know, if it just if it's just rotting on the surface of clay instead right. of on soil that where it can really absorb down, right. that information is all it can make you is arrogant. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> you know, as though you're actually doing something with it. You know, it can lead to delusional kinds of right. uh, of thinking. Now, but what, while we're discussing this with personality types and the enneagram, you know, like we've seen this everywhere that mm. I've done this uh, in corporate settings, like it also creates a danger. Hmm. Right. Like when people mm-hmm. when you share with somebody, oh, I'm an Enneagram three or four. And, and at the end of the day, people don't just know how you think, act and feel and what are the feelings and thoughts. But now they know the why, mm. you know, mm-hmm. that creates a level of vulnerability that I would imagine in the workspace people are really afraid of. Is that 
fair to say or yeah i mean it's interesting right because on on one hand and, and i've seen this in just the time i've been exploring the enneagram with you know friends and such as well where you can sort of on one hand sort of excuse behaviors because of your type right and then you can of course as you would say weaponize uh you know other people's behaviors because of their enneagram type right and i think you know, I, I think the solution, quite honestly, is that, you know, you can't, well, I don't know if it's the solution, but but one of the requirements of engaging with such a powerful tool is a sort of a commitment to go deep enough into the work to understand what it's telling you that you need to maybe shift about or get connected about to change, right? Not like that it's saying, well, so I'm a three. So, you know, not, I, you know so it's, it's not telling me, hey, Scott, you're a three. This is all your sort of achievement orientation. And so therefore off you go and you do it, it's really ultimately to learn enough about my three strategies so that I can eventually loosen my grip on that. Um, and I think, I think the Enneagram, just like any other tool, um, is kind of just an invitation. When you pull people in a room and do a workshop, it's really a, an invitation into a journey of self-development, mm. right? To kind of go back to what you were saying, that inf- information is not transformation. There's only so much that can be done in a three-hour or seven-hour workshop, right? You can walk in and give them a whole lot of information. But it's really just to say, I hope I've disrupted your world enough now and your assumptions now mm-hmm. that you feel compelled to go on this journey now of true self-development because mm. this is just the beginning. Wow. I love that, right? Because I think sometimes people think it's one and done. Mm-hmm. That it's not a process; it's a it's a place. Yeah, and that's a that's a mistake to think. Okay, I've arrived. Right. It, it really is no. I've just begun. Right. And and mm. uh, the the workplace becomes the incubator of my my journey toward greater self awareness. It's going to affect every area of my life. Right. And if you don't keep doing the the work and and take it as an invitation to go deeper, I think what I've seen happen is then you're relying on sheer willpower to sort of change things right right? and resistance is futile after a while (laughs) right (laughs) it's sort of like you've got so much energy you can expend towards stopping or trying to start something and if you're not really letting the transformative piece happen right eventually you kind of see people well you know i gave it a go it was interesting and you sort of kind of revert back to very ingrained habits that might have been playing mm-hmm. in you for the last 40, mm-hmm. 50 years. Right. Yeah, you for know? sure. And yeah. and that's when you end up in an HR office with right. people saying, here's what you might want to do <laughs> right. if you want to maintain this your position here, right? So we talked about this, and you weren't the first person to say it, but you were the first person who really um, encouraged me to articulate it for your team. We had a we had a full day workshop the first mm. time, eight hours, man. That mm-hmm. was a day, right? Yeah. Uh, and then the next time, a half day follow up. And you said to me the second time, you've you probably said this to me five times, okay? <laughs> it's really important for you to articulate ethics, mm. Mm. right? Yeah. Around the Enneagram. Yeah. Because what I'm observing is what? Well, I, um, I think with a couple of things I observed, one is that um, some people are, are, feeling a little disrupted by the information they have and they're kind of in a vulnerable space Mm -hmm. and the last thing they need is somebody sort of poking or prodding at their number even in a joking kind of way right Right. like it's it's not going to help them sort of evolve and grow in 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 this journey um and again i think some people could start to not only weaponize but excuse behavior in themselves because you know they sort of have read a sort of synopsis of their personality description. And so then they kind of 
kind of use it as an excuse, right? They might say, well, I'm, a, I'm an eight, so that's, you just have to deal with it, right? Kind right. of thing, right? So I think the, the important exploration of ethics that, again, you're being invited into something that actually is pretty profound and potentially life-changing, like you got to be careful about how you step into something like that. Yeah. So part of it is, you know, for those of you who are in business, you know, it's like one of the, the important things if you choose to use the Enneagram is mm. you, you do need to make sure that in, in parallel with it that you're creating a culture that's safe. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a culture. So let me just, I'll just run through those. Like, maybe yeah. it might be helpful to people just to yeah. say, well, what were the Enneagram ethics that we, we articulated for folks at, at Warner? Like, if you, yeah. if you know your type and the people that you're on your team, right? So uh, my premise was that day was like when it's used responsibly, like the Enneagram can, can dramatically improve the quality of people's personal and professional lives. But when it's used insensitively, it, it can actually create more problems than it solves. Mm. Right. So the first thing we said, you just referenced it, never weaponize your knowledge of another's type Mm. to dismiss or ridicule them. You know, like, so stop acting like a four, you know, or whatever. The second one was, you know, don't use your type as an excuse for bad behavior or to justify your resistance to not growing beyond its limitations. Mm. Right. Like, I can't, as you said, oh, I can't help but being overly blunt because I'm an eight or, you know, I can't stop myself from believing I'm right all the time because I'm a one. Right. Right. That's just not going to fly. The other one was never tell someone what type they are. Yeah. Even if you're sure, because most of the time, why? Because you, though you may see their feelings, their thoughts and behaviors, you can't see why. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So chances are you could mistype them or you will mistype them. Right. Um, the fourth one was to remember that people are more than their personality, that um, um, simply by knowing someone's type doesn't mean you know who they are, mm. you, right? Mm. You, it, the personality is a feature of who we are, but it's not the totality mm. of who we are. Um, never use, this was another one, never use type um, or knowledge of someone's type to manipulate or exploit them. And I think that goes for both coworkers, people who work for you, but also for customers. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, we want to serve customers, not exploit them. And right. I think that can become a blurry line, right? I was going to say, that seems like a fine line, right? Because it's sort of understanding maybe people's core motivations help you influence discussion, but it could also overuse or misuse, manipulate people. Right. And, you know, in my experience, you know, when people do that, eventually they get found out or they mm. get smelled out. Mm-hmm. People go, <laughs> and they go, mm, I'm sensing that, you know, I'm, I'm getting, you know, you know, Someone's peeing on my leg and calling it rain. <laughs> <laughs> and then the last thing that, that we said was, you know, don't talk too much about the Enneagram around people who aren't familiar with it. Mm-hmm. Because that one stung me because I do that too much. Oh, well, well because <laughs> so people get excited do. about yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. And then they, they can't stop talking about it. But if people weren't at the workshop, it ends up alienating them. Totally. Right. You know? Yeah. So you just have to be sensitive uh, to things. Then I guess uh, actually finally would be just be humble. Like just right. never talk or act like, like you know more about the Enneagram than you actually do. Mm. Right. And, you know, it was interesting. I was reading something about the importance of humility just the other day in this Harvard Business Review article that – you know, intellectual humility is the sort of building block for all of these kinds of things in totality, right? Like it starts with that sort of openness to, to change and experience. So humility being a theme for all of it is, is pretty critical. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what is that? um, The old Zen idea, and this is perennial, it goes across Mm -hmm. just life in general. It's not just specific to their tradition, which is, you know, the beginner's mind 
hmm. um, is is basically open to everything, and while the expert's mind hmm. is closed, hmm. right? I like that. And so, you know, I think the humility to have a beginner's mind is really important. Mm-hmm. I, I was listening to an NPR show yesterday and the guy was talking about Pablo Casals, the great cellist, mm-hmm. and how every single day he practiced scales until he was 94. Wow. And people said, well, you're, you're a wow. genius. Like, why do you bother to go back to the basics? He said, you have to have the humility, essentially, to go back to the fundamentals. And he said, every time I play a scale, it's as if for the first time. Wow. Isn't that so wonderful? Good. Wow, that is. Now, all the creativity that opens up in the workspace yeah. would probably be amazing, right? Yeah. Not assuming I've done this a million times. Right. It's like, well, no, every time you do a deal, you should treat it or approach it as though it's the first, the first one you've time. ever done. Because then you'll see new possibilities. Mm-hmm. I love it. Right? Wow. New That's possibilities. Great. That's good. So. All right. Now, now Scott, let's, let's just talk for a minute about this idea that we had mm-hmm. and why you know, maybe I shouldn't be sharing it on air because someone else is going to run with it. But but I am so kind of like all rights reserved. All rights reserved. <laughs> I am kind of stoked about it, um, and and how it, it could help. Why don't you describe what it is and and what, what it might look like? The the idea would be so you, you know you called me up with uh, a fantastic uh, some some fantastic information and uh, about um, the, what would what it could look like to create portfolios, very simple portfolios, and sort of like a one sheet or baseball card type thing, uh, where we you could capture people's maybe their Myers Briggs type plus you know what that roadmap might actually say about their um, proclivity for which phase of a particular project they might want to be in. There's a whole lot we can get from that. What the Enneagram number might tell us about their sort of high side and their sort of potential. Uh, downside, uh, as well as a whole bunch of other things we could actually put on there. And, you know, leaders could actually use that really um, to create more inclusivity in the workplace by reaching out to people that might not even be an obvious choice in a large organization or whom they're not that aware of, but they would get insights about, hey, this person has a you know passion for this. They've got a natural strength and preference for this. You know, we know this about them. They have an aspiration for this. And we could actually maybe build more uh, inclusive project teams and create stronger dynamics overall. Um, what it would look like, I'm not entirely sure what I, you know, it, it depends, I think, on the organization you would go to with it. But um, I think, you know, you could you could certainly brand it to fit whatever sort of, um, you know, culture that you're you're dealing with. See, I think this is like <clears throat> one of the great sort of applications for the Enneagram mm. inside of a, an organization. Like, <clears throat> so imagine, you know, you've got these baseball cards. Everybody has access to them. You could print them even, right? Mm-hmm. And and <clears throat> I was the idea is not original to me. I actually uh, gleaned it from Ray Dalio, who is the mm. founder and chief investment officer, I think, at the, the well, it is the largest hedge fund in the world. Mm. And he has, in his book, Principles, he talks about how much he has come to rely on personality assessments Mm. uh, in the workplace. He said it's vital. It's absolutely vital for you to – like he said, he was floored. And he was well into his career when he had this revelation. Just how important it is to understand how different people see the world Mm. and how their particular personality style affects their decision-making affects their um, analysis and you know and how they function in the workplace I mean in every way right and he says this and I thought boom I, I was actually in the shower listening to it <laughs> on audible and I you know yelled boom when I heard it you know I uh, he said um, that 
um, knowing your personality style. Let me let me back up. Well, we can edit this, yeah. right? Um, oh, he said knowing your personality style and the personality styles of the people that you work with. So let's say you know the numbers of all the different people that you're working with or potentially might work with, that um, it can reduce to hours what, uh, in terms of information and familiarity with that person, mm-hmm. what would normally take you years. Mm. Yes. Think about that. Yeah. I feel like I've seen that. Mm. Oh, really? Okay, tell me about yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, I just think, you know, we, we haven't done a lot of Enneagram work, but, you know, in in different groups and, and places around the world where we've done some other tools, just bringing those insights, people, you see moments in the room where people are like, oh, you're not a jerk. Like, you just see the world that way. Or yes. you're really introverted, and we keep bringing you into this sort of very extroverted environment and expecting you to run at the same energy level that we are for days on end, right? Or, you know, you're really sort of... You prefer to get information really sort of sequentially. You're, you're very hands-on. You you actually read the directions when you buy IKEA furniture, right? Right. Like, I'm right. a person that just looks at the picture and hopes that I'm smart enough to figure it out. Right. Which, by the way, I never am, but right. I try. So I'm intuitive. I'm just not very bright. So it's like that that whole thing illuminates. And when you can do that in three hours, I've seen it where people go, "Oh, I get that, right? Like you you're a planner, and I'm a last minute pressure prompted person. You're a you know intuitive, and I'm not. So I have we haven't had enough chance to sort of see it completely at play except for where we did the Enneagram work where we saw similar results right. um, and continue to see that. People are having conversations that look and feel a lot different than they did before. Yeah. In fact, that's another thing that Dalio says in this book. That he says that the value isn't actually in knowing the type. Mm. It's in the conversations yeah. those different types have with each other mm. once they know about totally. each other's styles. Yep. Wow. That's good. Yeah, like, well, for example, you walk into a meeting and you've read the baseball cards or you've mm, read the right. records, you know, yeah. that, that you, we were thinking about for yeah. maybe using at, at, at Warner. It's like, wow, you immediately have a conversation starter. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. like, oh, you're a three and I'm a three or I'm a seven and you're a four. And, you know, it's like you're already beyond surface level conversation diving into understanding and knowing each other in a way that's just it would take years to get to if you didn't have this data yeah totally it moves you straight past the superficialities and into something a little bit richer Mm, that's just awesome and that just greases the relational equity right away and uh that wasn't a very good explanation. Greases the relational equity i don't know what that means but greases the wheel of relational equity yeah something like that yeah yeah it does and i this is what excites me because i i I do love to see groups of people um, having these moments, these aha moments, mm-hmm. right, that you and I have spoken about, where they, where they realize, oh, mm-hmm. now once they know it, they have those epiphanies about who they are and about who other people are, what does it begin to do? It begins to reduce conflict. It creates greater efficiencies because, you know, now you're not bumping into communication styles you don't understand and, you know, you're like – wondering how to communicate to somebody all that takes time totally right yeah. it, take, it just a long time. It, it takes a long time well we can we can uh um we can help knowing each other's enneagram number will help you save time yes right so it'll increase productivity it'll it'll people will feel more valued because they're they're the people who manage them or or work beside them will see what they do best right employee engagement completely Right, which is I I know in your universe is a gigantic thing because right it costs a fortune to train someone and then they move on because they're unhappy 
for a whole host of reasons, right? Oh, yeah, completely. I mean, engagement, you know, there's more and more studies being done about engagement, which is wonderful for people like me because it you, gives you the data to, mm-hmm. to kind of support the work that you're, you're doing. Um, there's actually something known as the uh, 10-6-2 rule right. where they've, sh- they've shown that if somebody's um, engagement increases by 10%, that on average their effort goes up by 6%, and then on average the results increase by 2%. So imagine that for a revenue-generating role, mm. that somebody could produce 2% greater revenue by it being 10% more engaged. And it's hard to directly influence engagement. You can't just pull the engagement lever and say, oh, we're going to turn that dial up, right? But things like your, what we're talking about here um, that are all connected to things like Gallup Q12 and I, you know, I, people at work seem to care about me. I have a best friend at work and all these things that are very relational based. I think something like this idea could exponentially accelerate the relational equity in the business and create that sort of at least pull that engagement lever. So you said two things there that uh, uh, I love. One, one has to do with accelerator, mm-hmm. right? The idea of acceleration. And the other one is the idea that you can't force or, you know, programmatize, let's say, yeah. you know, engagement, right? Yeah. But you can create the natural climate yes. in which engagement uh, can take place. Yes. Right? 100%. Y- you can increase the probability that mm. engagement will occur. Uh, and I believe and I think more and more that when you use an instrument like the Enneagram, it creates that environment. Yep. It's the native soil out of which a natural, you know, product, right? Mm. Uh, will, you know, a plant will grow of engagement, mm. you know? So it's always going to be sort of a side, you got to come in sideways, not frontally to get that to happen, right? Mm-hmm. It's a byproduct of something else. But I love the word accelerator mm. because the Enneagram is an accelerator. Mm. It does what we just said previously. It it shortens the amount of time and energy. You got to expend a lot of calories to get to know people, yeah. right? And you're not gonna. That's not gonna cease. But it is gonna take less effort if you've, you know, help people understand each other and and their 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 work style, right? Yeah, and you know, you give people a common language. Ooh, that's important. Mm-hmm. Keep going. Yeah, I mean, because we're all coming from very diverse educational backgrounds, experiences, walks of life, and we come into a room and we're sort of, you know, thrown into this sort of team and we try to find our common ground and that can be challenging, right? And I think when you give people common language by which to build the relationship upon, that's huge, right? So I think some of this kind of work can really set that foundation. Like we found our connecting point, Mm. you know? Yeah, I mean, this idea of common language isn't about the Enneagram, like what it gives mm. you. Just that, that happens in every sphere of life. It's going to help help you at work, in your marriage, mm. in your friendships. Like if, if, if people know this material, it's very powerful because now you do share a language about personal growth. Right. Um, you have, you know, language like underlying motivation. Totally. Or language like, you know, what's the sort of passion that's running beneath the surface of your life or mm-hmm. that mood state or that that's creating these thoughts, feelings, and actions, mm-hmm. right? And so on and on and on. You, you now have a, a linguistic framework in which mm-hmm. you can communicate with each other. And I mean, I've heard this in business. I've heard it in marriages, et cetera. It's like how powerful is it that you can give somebody a three- or four-page um, – description of your type 
and feel like this is everything I have tried to explain to people that has taken me so long over the, the lifetime of a relationship. Mm-hmm. And I can basically say, this is what it's like to live in my shoes. Totally. Mm. Yeah, I wish this was my premarital counseling, was Enneagram. I mean, that's, yes. I wish I had that language. For real. I mean, yeah. That is 100%. Yes. Yeah. Because it saves you time. Yes. And pain. (laughs) (laughs) Right? And it'll do the same in the workplace. Yeah. Right? Yeah, completely. Well, the empathy it gives you for yourself and for others. Yes. You know, Mm -hmm. and marriage. I mean, it's been a game changer for us. Mm. Yeah, and and actually just Google search empathy in the workplace. Mm. And you will come up with a whole host of, you know, uh, Harvard Business Review articles and, you know, Wall Street Journal articles talking about the – these soft skills of empathy and compassion uh, as being critical in the workplace, not like, and critical to the bottom line. Yeah. Right. And this is what I always have to convince uh, a lot of senior management about. It's like, they kind of go, isn't this kind of woo woo? Hmm. Right. That's always the kind of like sort of resistance point. It's like, well, here are the studies. Mm -hmm. Uh, Woo woo, you know, produces better bottom line results and a happier place to work. And, uh, Everybody wants both, right? It all feeds emotional intelligence, and fortunately, there are study after study now about that being the critical piece of success. Seventy percent mm. or more—I I can't remember the exact statistic—but yep. it's like over seventy percent of the reason leaders will succeed or fail is directly related to their emotional intelligence. Right. It has nothing to do with your education. Mm. Well, it has—you know—we tend to think it's okay. It's you know, yeah. well, this guy went to Harvard Business School, right. or she went to this law school, blah blah blah. Therefore, they must be effective, right? Uh, or they're mm. going to be good at their job. But what if they're jerks? Right. I, uh, <laughs> you know, or what if they just have no self awareness? It's like that person's a liability, not an asset. <laughs> I've come to believe that EQ is IQ at its testing point. Right. EQ. Some of our people may not know what that is. Like so. emotional intelligence. So right. the idea. So it's broken down as some people refer to it as EI or EQ. So when you're talking about emotional intelligence, you'll hear it abbreviated as EI or EQ oftentimes. Right. So I think, and, and I think everything we're talking about, you know, the Enneagram being a massive um, resource for developing emotional intelligence, among other tools, um, develops emotional intelligence, right? Did I say that right? So Enneagram, Myers-Briggs, all these sort of self-reflective, you know, journeys of transformation lead to greater emotional intelligence. Greater emotional intelligence is the predictor of success. Mm. And so we look, historically, we looked a lot at, like you said, education, experiences, IQ, those kinds of things. But whatever your IQ is, it is tested at the point of EQ, right? Mm. So that's its application, right? Take everything you know and have learned, it's applied through your emotional intelligence. Well, amen to that. There you go. Right? <laughs> and that'll be true in every sphere of your life, man. That's so true. How you relate to the woman who's the cashier at CVS. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, how you relate to you know, the people that you work with. Um, I, I, well, maybe we'll close with this idea, but the, I was reading um, um, something the other day, a uh, great book. Uh, do you, have you ever read The Leadership and Self-Deception? No. By the Arbinger Institute? And mm-hmm. there's another book that followed it called The Anatomy of Peace. Okay. Now, leadership and self-deception is, I think, a must-read for for business folks. I do. I mean, okay. and I've only gotten to it recently, so it's it's fantastic, right? Um, but one of the things that come out of it is this whole idea of, um, you know, the philosopher Martin Buber, mm. uh, who writes about um, that we have basically two kinds of relationships. One is the I-thou relationship and the I-it relationship. Mm. 
And <clears throat> we tend in life to often view others not as human beings, but as objects. Mm. So you would say, like in the corporate mm-hmm. space, you know, we say, oh, that person's an analyst or that person is, you know, uh, a, uh, I don't know, a sales manager or whatever it may be. And at that point, you're really treating them as an object, not a mm-hmm. human being. You're, you're treating them like a title. Right. You know, this person's the waiter or the cashier. Right. And what happens is when you do that is it creates an environment in which you can be justified treating that person any way you want because they're not a person. They're mm-hmm. an object. Mm-hmm. They're a, they're a, they're a, a function. Mm. inside of an organization versus a human being who has a name, a family, a history, a life. And if you can shift, if you can, the more you can keep the awareness of the I thou, Mm. right? The I you versus an I it, then the better off you and the world are going to be Mm. and the less conflict you're going to have because once you see them as a person versus a function, then um, it's very hard to engage in, in, in some kind of corporate warfare relationship or whatever when you keep, the, keep it in mind this is a human being, not a thing. Right. Right. Wow. And I think, again, the Enneagram, Myers-Briggs, all these other tools help us to live in the I-thou space more mm. than the I-it mm. space. I love that. Yeah, man. Well, Scott, this has been great, man. Thanks for having me. It's been so fun. Yeah. I mean, this is like, you know, gets my, (laughs) again, I get so excited when I see the Enneagram, you know, spreading its tentacles into new spheres (laughs) and doing new things. And and, uh, Anthony, you feeling good today? I'm good, man. See, this is going to help you, isn't it? Oh, it's it's already helped me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man, me too. I have more empathy for you right now. (laughs) That I did 20 minutes ago. <laughs> when you were an it, not a thou. That's right. That's right. You were a host, not a person. That's right. right. Well, listen, everybody. Awesome. Remember the words of uh, the great Oscar Wilde be yourself. Everybody else is already taken.